Next, the golden days of radio. This is Frank Brzee inviting you to join me for the golden days of radio. Great moments from radio programs of the past headlining some of the world's most famous personalities. On this program, we are featuring vocalist Lanny Ross, comedians Molasses and January, Fanny Bryce as Baby Snooks, Howard and Sheldon, Ed Wynn, Arthur Q. Bryan, Fibber McGee and Molly, plus a look at some of the afternoon serials, Jack Armstrong, Superman, and Tom Mix. During the mid-30s and into the 40s, one of the high-rated programs was Showboat, presided over by Captain Andy Charles Winninger. Two vocalists on the program were Lanny Ross and Mary Lou Wilson. Lend your little ear to my please. Lend a ray of tear to my please. Tell me that you love me too. Please say you're not intending to tease. Speed the happy ending and the Tell me that you love me too Two comedians brought their wit to the showboat program in the persons of Molasses in January. Go, Molasses. Where you been at, son? I've been looking for you ever place. Oh, man, you looking at the man what's been out to the whooping races. Oh, what kind of race is that? Man, that's out there where, where the hound, he run after the rabbit. Oh. Yeah, and you know I've been going out there for about 25 years, and I bet on every doggone race, and I ain't never lost a race yet. Yeah, wait a minute, boy. Hmm? You mean say you've been going out there 25 years and bet on every race and ain't never lost one race? Yet? That's right. How do you win all the time? Well, I bet on the rabbit. <laughs> my racer, you know, my papa, he used to raise race horses. Is that so? Yeah, I never will forget one little mare that he raised from a coat. Uh huh. Boy, she was in the pink of condition. Yeah. Yeah, we ended her in the Kentucky Derby. Uh huh. Yeah, we went out to the racetrack, boy, and there the grandstand was full of people. Yeah. Yeah, the band was playing and the flag was flying. Mm -hmm. We led the horses right up to the barrier. Yeah. There's all. Oh, Coming down the fifth stretch, my poppy's little mare was number seven. Number seven. Coming down the second quarter, my poppy's little mare was number two. Come on, baby. Coming down the first quarter, my poppy's little mare was in the lead. In the lead. Come Coming on, down baby. the home stretch, my poppy's little mare was neck and neck with the horse in the lead. Neck and neck. Come Coming on. Coming under that wire, she was nose and nose, tail and tail, head and head with the horse in the lead, and she won the race. Yeah, wait, wait a minute. Hmm? You gonna stand there and tell me that that little mare was neck and neck and nose and nose and tail and tail with the other horse, and then she won the race? Yes, yeah, she done that. Well, how did she do that? She stuck out a tongue. <laughs> a little bit. Is you gonna lie? Yeah, you yeah. know, you looking at a man here what used to raise race horses. Oh, uh, hush. Boy, I never will forget one little pup what I raised from a coat. No, you mean a mare. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, she was in the blue condition. In the pink. She, that's what I said. Yeah. 
And I entered in the Kentucky Derby hat. In the Derby? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And we led him out there to the racetrack. Uh -huh. There the people was full of grandstands. No, the grandstands was full of people. Yeah, and the flags was playing and the bands was flying. Man, the bands <laughs> was playing and the flags was flying. Yeah, that's what I said. They led him right up there to the barrier. Yeah. They are all. They are all. Coming down to the first quarter, my little man was five lengths in the lead. Five. Coming down to the second quarter, she's ten lengths in the lead. Ten. Coming down to the three quarters, she's fifteen lengths in Getting the lead. Getting further. Coming down that home stretch, she was so far ahead of the rest of them horses that she stopped and had a coat. Boy, if you gonna stand here flat-footed with your bare face hanging out and tell me that that little mare was so far ahead of the rest of the horses that she stopped and had a little coat? Yeah. And then won the race? Yeah, she won the race. And that ain't all. The coat come in second. Fanny Bryce was the original funny girl. On her weekly program, Miss Bryce played her character Baby Snooks, and the show enjoyed high ratings for many years on the radio. In this excerpt, Arlene Harris plays the part of Mummy, and Arthur Q. Bryan is Dr. Anderson. Here's Fanny Bryce as Baby Snooks. Now back to Sycamore Terrace. The battle of the teddy bear is still on with Snooks well in the lead. Mummy, however, had an idea of how to settle it and sent for Dr. Anderson. He's just arriving at the house. Hello, Dr. Anderson. Hello, Mrs. Higgins. Well, here I am, the teddy bear veterinarian. <laughs> well, I wish it were as humorous as that, Doctor, but the more stubborn Snooks gets, the more violent Lancelot becomes. Well, I gave it some thought on my way over, and I think we can solve the problem without any emotional disturbance for Snooks. I'll pretend the bear is very sick, and if my treatment is successful, <laughs> it may even die. Well, I hope it works, Doctor, because if it doesn't, we're going to take it away from her no matter what the effect. No teddy bear is going to break up my home. Well, don't worry. Where is she? She's in her room across the hall. I'll knock on the door. Who is it? Dr. Anderson. <laughs> Snooks, why are you crying? Because I'm sick. No, you're not. I'm not? No. Then what are you doing here? <laughs> Can't I just come in and pay you a little visit? <laughs> no. Honestly, Snooks, all I want to do is play. How about a game of tag? No. You always tag me with a needle. <laughs> well, then I'll play with your teddy bear. Oh, my, he's nice. <laughs> you like him? Yes. His name is Oscar. Shake hands, Oscar. Hello, Oscar. Say, what's the matter with him? He doesn't look too well. He doesn't? No. Give him a shot. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Give him a shot. Oh, no. Snooks, I, I didn't realize how sick this teddy bear was when I first looked at him. But I can see now he's in bad shape. Oh. You know what's wrong with him? What? He's got bearitis. <laughs> you know what that is? Yes. No clothes. <laughs> now, Snooks, this is very, very serious. I'm afraid there's no hope. Is he dead? No, but he's going fast. <laughs> oh, now, Snooks, don't cry. If Oscar does die, we'll make a nice little coffin for him, lined with satin. Yeah. And there'll be nice flowers, and everybody will have ice cream. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Let's kill him. 
Ed Wynn was a comedian that captured all facets of show business, vaudeville, radio, television, and motion pictures. This excerpt is from his 1936 radio program, and he's even a funny man during the commercial. What do you want, Jim? Well, I want you to hear a message from John Reed King to the car owners of America. Yeah. What this boy says is sound. That's the trouble, merely sound. <laughs> car owners, you will enjoy more driving satisfaction per minute and more per mile from Fire Chief Power and Fire Chief Action. Starting right in. Because Fire Chief Gasoline is better than ever before yeah. as a result of Texaco's intensive wartime research. Ladies and gentlemen, because of conditions over which I have no control, this announcer will continue. <laughs> Today's great fire chief has improved firepower. That's he. To give you quick starts, fast pickup, and all-round smooth traveling. Yeah. When you touch that starter on cold mornings, yeah. your engine leaps to life. Oh, well, look, John, that's... Yeah. The, you know, speaking of cold mornings, my uncle's wife uh, acts just like an automobile on cold mornings. Really, Chief? Yeah. <laughs> Whenever he wants her to go someplace on a cold morning, she freezes right up on him, and he has to choke her a couple of times to get her started. You know? <laughs> That's not so with automobile chief. Oh, isn't it? When you use Fire Chief gasoline, yeah. you get away in a hurry. Yeah. That's Fire Chief action. Yeah. Fire Chief starting power. I didn't get the name of the... When you yeah. want quick acceleration and get away in traffic, you yeah. get it. Oh, we got action and acceleration going to a fire last night. Really, Chief? <laughs> oh, a clothing store on 14th Street burned down, you know. Store hadn't been doing business for years. Oh, was it a big fire, Chief? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I could see the blaze coming six months ago. <laughs> I could see that. Oh, it's terrific. So drive in tomorrow for Fire Chief Power and Action. Nothing stops this guy. Fill her up and start her up with a tank full of Texaco's great new, better than ever, Fire Chief gasoline. Well, I'll stick to my horse. Oh, <laughs> you and your horse. Yeah. That horse limps. I saw him running on three legs. Well, he always does that. He always keeps one foot in his mouth because he likes to feel his oats. <laughs> Howard and Sheldon were two of the funniest men to ever hit the radio airwaves. This excerpt is from their five-minute morning breakfast program in 1945. Good morning, Tom. Where's George? What? He's not here yet? Well, he ought to be here to say good morning. People sort of expect it. Good morning, fellas. Am I late? I wish you were. Couldn't you arrange to be about five minutes too late some morning? Well, you know, I thought sure I was late. I got in a jam in the subway. What a crowd. And you know I hate crowds. Yeah, think of the crowds that hate you. <laughs> Are you starting already? Why can't you be nice for a change? What made you late this morning? I told you I got in a subway jam. Then I stopped to get a plate of ice cream. Ice cream? Yeah. This early? Oh, I love ice cream. What ice, kind of ice cream did you get? What kind? I had some of that Dolly Madison ice cream. Dolly Madison? Who's she? I've never heard of Dolly Madison. Has she got a sister? Who has, who has who got a sister? Dolly. Ah. That's one of the Dolly sisters, ain't it? Oh, Tommy. Huh? No, have you ever heard uh, of Dolly Madison ice cream? No. Heard of chocolate, strawberry, vanilla. Potassio. Potassio. But not Dolly Madison. Is that a new flavor? No, no. Has it got raisins in it? No, no, look. <laughs> Look, Tom, Dolly Madison was the first woman to serve ice cream in the White House. Oh, she was a waitress. <laughs> she was not a waitress. She was a hostess. Hostess? Yeah, she was the president's wife. Oh. Now, do you know who I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, Martha Washington. No, no. <laughs> no, Martha Washington made candy. Oh, that's right, that's right. Was she married? Who, was who married? 
Dolly Madison. I said she was the president's wife. Oh, then she must have been married. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly she was married, you dumb cluck. <laughs> you mean she was the wife of the President of the United States? That's right. And she had to sell ice cream? Oh, no, 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 Tom. No, <laughs> no Tom. No, Tom, she didn't sell ice cream. No? No. She, you said she served ice cream in the White House. Yeah, but she didn't sell it. You mean she gave it away? Oh, no, no. You can't make any money that way. Look, Tom, when she had guests at the White House, she served them ice cream. Why? Why? That was my question. Well, why, why would anybody serve ice cream? I don't know. I don't go around asking people why they serve ice cream. It's none of my business. Oh, I don't see why I waste time here talking to you. Neither do I when I got to be getting to work. Where are you working now? I'm a sailor in a gambling casino. Sailor in a gambling casino? Yeah, I watch the decks. <laughs> there was one radio team who had what was referred to as the most famous sound in radio. Here's Fibber McGee and Molly opening the door to Fibber's closet. Sure, well, let's have you my air raid warden helmet, Molly. I wouldn't know where to look for it, dearie. Oh, I know where it is. It's right here in the hall closet. Oh, no, no. I gotta straighten out that closet one of these days. And now an excerpt from a program which I consider high camp. The show was on in the 30s, and it was entitled The Red Ghost. This is Kenneth Roberts bringing you another episode in the exciting exploits of the Red Ghost. <laughs> Who is the Red Ghost? Whence does he come? What does he want? Tonight, perhaps, we may learn the answers as a green police car with throttle wide open speeds Inspector Donovan to the scene of the murder where Judge Stanley lies dead in a crimson pool. And now, meet Inspector Donovan. Sergeant, post Sheridan Buckley on the ground. Right, sir. Oh, Inspector, I'm so glad you're here. Come in, please. Now, Mrs. Stanley, you said you were the only one in the house when your husband was killed. Yes, Inspector. The maiden butler had the evening off. If you were alone, then you must be the one that murdered Judge Stanley. No, no, I didn't kill him, Inspector. I swear I didn't. Quick, Sergeant, there's someone under that table. It's only a Maltese cat, Inspector. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Look, Inspector. The cat's been playing with a ball of yarn, and there's a message stuck inside. It says, I got your husband, and you're next. Signed, The Red Ghost. The Red Ghost! What's that? Somebody just got out through that window. It must be the Red Ghost. We've got to get him dead or alive. escaped through the window. Was it the Red Ghost? Tune in next Thursday evening and you may find out. The afternoon adventure shows always provided many exciting moments. Here's probably one of the most remembered. And now, Jack Armstrong, the all-American boy. Yesterday, when the Penguin was steaming away from the region of packed ice, a red rocket flared in the sky. A ship in distress, signaling for help. Captain Campbell headed back to the rescue at once. Now, we're on deck with Jack, Billy, and Betty. Listen. Mr. McGregor! Mr. McGregor! Hi! Where are you? 
He must be in. That's where he went to fix the companionway door. Yeah, we'll dash back there. Oh, oh, there goes another red rocket. Gosh, that ship must be in a bad way. It sure is if it's caught on that packed ice. And the poor fellows on board must be desperate. We've got to get that white rocket up in a hurry. That'll give them hope. If we knew where the rockets were kept, we wouldn't need Mr. McGregor. We could send one up ourselves. He must be back here somewhere. Uh, Mr. McGregor! Who's Mr. McGregor! Mr. McGregor! Ahoy there! The captain wants a white rocket sent up. He told us to tell you. He's going to the rescue of that ship in distress. So I see, lad. We've put about already. It's bad business, too. Gee, how do you mean? It's ten to one. We'll be in trouble ourselves before we're able to do any rescuing. But the storm's over. Aye, but we're headed straight for the packed ice. No ship can get through that. It's dangerous even to put in close to it. It's shifting and spreading all the time. The captain won't turn back anyhow. Of course he won't. Neither would I in his place. We'll send that rocket up. I shouldn't take time for it now, though. We'll do it if you've got to take care of something else. Sure, we can set off a rocket. Then you shall. I've got to get fenders over the side. We're liable to run afoul of some underwater ice before we get to the part that shows. I've got fenders over already, but I want them all around the ship. Just tell us where the rockets are. You'll find them in the deck storeroom. That's the door straight ahead. They're in a chest against the bulkhead inside. Here's the key. Right. We'll take care of it. Come on, Billy. Wait. Take these matches. You won't find any of them with the rockets. That's right, and we'll need them. Be careful and send it straight up. Okay. Second one, report forward. Then there was Clark Kent as Superman. And now the adventures of Superman. Sensing a story in a mysterious note addressed to Superman, Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen rented a boat and rowed out on North Bay, where they found an unconscious boy in a rowboat. On their way back to shore with the boy, they were run down by a large speedboat and were near drowning when Superman appeared and rescued them. At a doctor's house, the boy revived and identified himself as Dick Grayson. He said he had sent the note to Superman and was in great trouble, but refused to discuss the matter with anyone but the Man of Steel. Clark Kent took Dick to his apartment where he left for a moment and then reappeared as Superman. He told Dick he had seen the cape beneath his coat and the red leather vest with the letter R on it and recognized him as Robin, companion of the famous Batman. The boy admitted his identity and pleaded for help. You've got to help me, Superman. You've got to. Of course I'll help you if I can. You're the only one who can. Well, this sounds serious. It is. It's the most serious thing that ever happened. That's a pretty strong statement, Robin. It's true. You see... Yes? Batman has disappeared. What? Yes. Batman has disappeared. Great, Scott. Where? When? I don't know where. He left me in our cottage at Queen's Point. That's across the bay. Yes? He told me to wait for him there. He said he'd be back before evening. But he didn't come back. He didn't, eh? When was this? I mean, when did he leave? It was yesterday. Batman left right after lunch. He said he'd be back in a few hours. Did he say where he was going? No. All he said was that he was working on the biggest case of his life. And he was all set to finish it up that afternoon. Did he give you any hint as to what it was? I begged him to, but he wouldn't. He said it was too dangerous for even me to be mixed up in. He said that... The fate of the whole world depended on it. Fate of the whole world? Yes. You've got to find him, Superman. Because what I'm afraid of is that those men got him. What men? The men who came to our cottage last night to get me. Now, wait a minute. You better tell me about that. I was going to. Another popular afternoon adventure show was Tom X. And now, let's join Tom and Sheriff Mike as they drive along in the rear seat of a car driven by the mysterious white-bearded... Mr. Moonlight. Seated between our friends is a tall and extraordinarily beautiful girl named Drusilla Drake. Mike, staring open-mouthed at Tom, says... Tom, did you hear what I heard? I heard, Mike. Do you savvy it? Nope. Well, it's really quite simple, gentlemen. It is, huh? Well, then maybe you'll explain, ma'am. 
We hit your car on Olive Street and you raise all sorts of ruckus. You tell the John Law on the beat that since we busted your car, you want us to take you out to your house. Then, by golly, you gets into this here conveyance and talks to Mr. Moonlight like you'd known him for years. She does, pal. Lucy and me have been sidekicks for years. Yeah, and it's for you, Mr. Moonlight. First time we met you, you're a whistling Danny boy and a talking like somebody out of a fairy story. The sky is a gooseamer veil made of gauze with stars sprinkled over it like pearls on velvet. Now, sudden like, you begin to talk like a tough character. I am tough, mister. Plenty tough, see? All right, all right, all right. I give up. Tom, uh, take over, will you? <laughs> well, I don't mind explaining. You see? There's not much you have to explain, Miss Drake. I reckon I've been through enough of this kind of thing to recognize it. You and Moonlight are trying to throw somebody off our trail. Look back through the rear window. Yes, I savvy. Savvy what, Tom? That car behind us, Mike. We're being followed. Followed? By who? Enemy agents. Enemy agents? Now, wait a minute, friend. This year's America. Yeah? Anyhow, the boys in that car behind us are members of an enemy espionage ring. They picked us up when we crossed the St. Louis city limits. Well, where are we going? Would somebody mind telling me? My instructions were to keep things secret as long as possible, Mike. But I reckon you can know now. We're headed for Europe. Europe? You mean after VE Day and all that? Yes, that's right, Mike. There's certain things to be done yet, and it seems up to me to do them. Well, there's some pretty dangerous spots there yet, Tom. If Tom X were on the air today, it might sound something like this. Straight shooters always win. Lawbreakers always lose. The Tom Mix Hot Mush Straight Shooters Club is on the air. Well, looky here. It's roundup time. So let's get going. But first... This edition of the Golden Days of Radio. This is Frank Brzee in Hollywood, California, inviting you to join me next week for more shows and personalities from Radio's Golden Days. This is the American Forces Radio and Television Service.